0: Thanks for listening, Unplugged Army. I'm Louie Unga, General Manager at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. We're proud to present Doug Franz Unplugged.
1: Four minutes offense.
0: Four, four minutes offense. Four minutes. Four minutes offense. Four minutes offense. Everything you need to know in sports that affects Maricopa County, the state of Arizona, and the world. You get in four minutes. We start things off in Dallas, Texas. Arizona Coyotes, a loser, but they got a point. They lose 4-3 to in Dallas in overtime. Keller led off the game with a goal. The team led 1-0 and led 3-2 to but couldn't hold it. Stars tie it in the third. They win it in the OT. Defenseman Lawson him. Or center lost him. Krause.
2: We got to do a little bit of a better job protecting that lead with five minutes left. And um, if we can learn on that, it will be a different story in the future.
0: The opportunity to learn on that comes tomorrow night. They take off and they fly fly today to Columbus to take on the Blue Jackets. All right, here we go, here we go. Phoenix Suns, tonight downtown. Devin Booker is listed as probable. That means the four and six Suns, who are only a 10 seed right now in the playoffs, will finally start their opening night starting lineup for the first time. Making it not opening night. Beal, Booker, Kevin Durant, all expected to play for the first time this year. Who do they play? The number two seed, eight and two Minnesota Timberwolves. Tip-off downtown tonight, seven o'clock. Lots of Cardinals news. One, Ron Miniger, former COO of the Arizona Cardinals, joined Doug Franz Unplugged yesterday right here on WTSMTV.com in an exclusive explaining how the Arizona Cardinals used his uh, Alcoholics Anonymous make amends letter out of context and against his permission in order to defend itself against a Terry McDonough arbitration complaint filed with the NFL. Today, Ron Miniger will Explain his knowledge of what he heard about the burner foams, which is the meat of the Terry McDonough case. That comes up later today. Now, as far as on the field goes, this is Drew Penson, offensive coordinator, allowing himself to have a little bit of a good time for once during his press conference. Would ask, How did you feel about seeing Kyler Murray for the first time on the field?
3: It was exciting. I'm really pleased with kind of how he handled everything, how the team responded. Certainly it certainly a good step in the right direction. There's plenty of things to clean up, but it was a really good first step. For Drew Petsing, that was exciting,
0: by the way. Cardinals at Houston taking on the Rookie of the Year, C.J. Stroud. Kickoff 11 o'clock college football. Oh yeah, U of A congratulations. They're up to number 17 and they're even higher ranked than the defending Pac-12 champion Utah Utes, who they take on on Saturday. In the rankings better than them, the top six, Georgia jumps to number one. Ohio State, Michigan, Florida State, top four. UW and Oregon right behind at five and six. Kickoff against Utah is at 1230. Now, ASU. Oh no, there you go. That's U of A. That's where they are ranked. That's Pretty good. I kind of gave Jeff Weir Production a little bit of confusion. So I already talked to you of A. So give me ASU. They take on Oregon coming up. Coach Kenny Dillingham talked about the chess match with Oregon. We'll get to that a little later. It's really interesting because he used to be the offensive coordinator of Oregon. And he says, I know their calls, but they know mine. ASU fans, it doesn't look good in L.A. The L.A. Clippers on October 31st traded for James Harden. Since then, they've lost six straight games they lost last night to Denver. And finally, meet Harry Mead of Tazewell, Tennessee. You see, old Harry in Tazewell volunteered to drive Santa's train. Oh, how wonderful. It's a big lawnmower that pulls makeshift train cars. No, not actual train cars but small little wagons that are made to look like train cars so kids can ride in the Tazewell Parade on Santa's train. Problem was, when the parade was over, old Harry didn't seem to be himself. There were 14 police officers working the beat at the parade. They did a field sobriety test on the spot. He failed. They looked across the lawnmower. Go, Tennessee. They found meth, narcotics, and a syringe on Santa's train. Ho, ho, ho. Jackpot, Unplugged Army. I feel like a true commander-in-chief to be able to give you such an unprecedented savings. Go to unplugged at whirlwind.com and check out the new membership club from Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Whirlwind Plus. Here's what you get. You sign up for a tee time anytime between now and five days from now, and you can save anywhere from a minimum of 30% up to 60% off plus 15% off at Sivlik, the restaurant, and another 15% off in the pro shop. I'm telling you, you walk into the pro shop, get bowls a shirt and a hat, you walk over for happy hour with your wife, you might pay for your monthly membership right then and there. It's $34 a month, cancel anytime, or if you want to save even more, because that equals out to a little more than $400, you can get it for only $299 a year. Whirlwind Plus, at whirlwind golf club at wild horse pass go to unpluggedatwhirlwind.com at whirlwind.com and feel the wind
4: i'm janelle general manager of bells nashville kitchen aka the whiskey wizard bells isn't your typical country bar with mediocre bar food we are a scratch kitchen with chef inspired dishes in the only place you can get the best sandwich in all of arizona our nashville hot chicken sandwich now the drinks i spend days infusing our own whiskey creations Come in for Whiskey Wednesdays to learn about, and drink, our famous whiskey selection. We have live music most days and all weekend as part of our honky-tonk brunch.
0: Bell's Nashville Kitchen, on Main Street in Old Town Scottsdale. You found home, down home. I gotta tell you, I put on a show last night that I am so proud of. To be able to put my beer tasting abilities to the test, absolutely crush it, and then in a sense, get free beer for it? Look at me. Yes, I am. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whatever it is that you've decided to make Doug Franz unplugged a part of your day, my family greatly appreciates it. My name is Doug Franz, and you have found the only podcast and TV show in the world totally devoted to the coverage of the four major sports franchises of one great American city that drops on your phone and your television every weekday morning. We also cover ASU, U of A, GCU, the Rattlers, the Rising, and the Mercs, This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Welcome. Um, A lot of people are finding the podcast for the first time with our Ron Miniger exclusives. So just in case you don't know this, I want to explain it to you. You can uh, listen to the podcast absolutely free at Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, uh, TuneIn, wherever it is that you get your podcast, you can listen to it. But then, just so you know, you would be missing out on being able to judge eye contact that I make with you, uh, be able to see Ron Minniger in the conversations, things like that. And to be able to watch that, join us at WTSMTV.com and choose your tier, whether you want to go basic, whether you want to go live, whether you want to go premium. And I would strongly suggest you looking at premium uh, for this month, as this month premium subscribers have an opportunity. To win, this is amazing, a foursome at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass, lunch at Civlic for all four of you, and three wedges. So this is an over $1,000 prize pack that you could win, and it's only available for premium members. So I want to welcome you in for the possibility of you becoming a premium member and winning that prize pack. And there's more than just that. There's daily winners every day coming up for, uh, I believe we're probably going to get started the last week of November. Um, I haven't talked to Bossman about it, I just to be blunt. CEO gave some dates, and I, I reject them, but I haven't told him that yet. <laughs> so, therefore, I uh, want to talk to him about it first. But we'll do that in a couple weeks, and I think we'll have a lot of fun giving you prizes if you're on, on the premium train. So, welcome to those of you. That are jumping on that. And so that's how uh, Doug Franz Unplugged works uh, on a regular basis. And all you have to do is listen to the first four minutes and you're guaranteed to find out everything you need to know from last night and looking ahead into today. So even if you've got to listen to the rest of the podcast later or watch the podcast later, I mean, think about that. You get up in the morning and if you have a TV in your bedroom, you flip it on, you watch Doug Franz Unplugged live, you get those four minutes and then you start your day. A good way to get going in life, okay? And today's one of those days where we're going to attack the day. You're in the unplugged army now. No excuses. Let's go. Let's get fired up. Today's going to be a great day, and I'll tell you why here in a little bit. I I was so proud of of my beer abilities last night. I have to tell you this story. So Jennifer uh, texted me. I, I forget when it was, but just having a bad day at work. So... I think I've explained this to you before. My wife and I, we each take an allowance. So at the beginning of every month, you get a certain dollar amount. That's your allowance. And the other other one cannot say a word about what you spend your allowance on. You're allowed to do whatever you want with your allowance. Well, I spent my allowance on my wife last night. With her having a rough day, I said, hey, you know what? I'll meet you for dinner. So we went to a chain sports bar, and I'm normally anti-chain, but I live in Goodyear, so what are you going to do? So we went to a BJ's, which is kind of out of California, big chain. uh, Pretty good food, though. So they got a great beer selection. But I'm an ale kind of guy. I like a dark ale, but not a nut brown. I don't like a nutty taste to it. And I don't like stouts because I hate coffee. So I admit, there's, there's a pickiness there. Stouts are too dark, and I can't stand yellow beer. I might as well just get lemonade. So that's how I, that's my beer drinking. So they had their own amber ale, and they had Kilt Lifter. So I said, you know what? I like a taster. Can I, can I taste both of these and see which one I like? So the guy comes over, gives me... uh uh, basically about i would say three shots of beer is how much is in this little glass and i drink one that's the in-house bj's amber ale and then i drink the kill lifter now the bj's i immediately look at the guy and said wait is there fruit in that and he goes oh yeah just a hint of orange i don't fruit my beer okay i drink beer okay if i want a fruit cocktail i like a lava flow well that's my one umbrella drink. If I'm in Hawaii, I'll get a lava flow, which is pina colada and strawberries. I'll play your little game. I'm on the beach. All right. Put a little umbrella in my drink. I'll get over it. I'll take the umbrella out and hope nobody catches me, but it's all right. It's all right. But if I'm on the mainland, I'm drinking, I'm drinking beer and therefore beer and fruit. No. So I say, no, thank you. And I, I, I know what kill tastes your taste like, but I taste it. And I, and I immediately after I ordered the killer, thought that's weird. This, this glass smells, but I thought it was the glass. So then he comes back with the Kilt Lifter and I drink, I take a drink and I said, man, this Kilt Lifter smells, this is not like something's wrong with the beer and it's not Kilt Lifter's fault. So I, I keep drinking it and then I look on the menu and the menu has a beer out of Saddle, it's called Saddle Mountain Brewery. In, in Goodyear that's called Clandestine. And I like that. So I said, you know what? This, this beer smells, I'm going to take a Clandestine. And then the waiter looked at me with shock and awe because I had done the taster, ordered the kit lifter, and I had already dr- drunk half of the kit lifter. And I said, don't worry. I'm paying for the kit lifter. I ordered it. I tasted it. I thought I knew it smelled, but thought it wasn't going to be a big deal. And then I kept drinking it, hoping I could get through it. And I just can't get through it and uh and he goes oh okay you sure you're willing to pay for it? i said yeah and he goes man i i really appreciate that and he was like like he wanted to apologize but i think he would have had you know taken a loss or maybe something bad would have happened to him if i drink half a beer and then don't want to pay for it so then he walks away brings me my other beer and he goes now what was wrong with this and i said smell it and he he, he, yes you, you can imagine i guess if i'm a waiter i don't want to smell somebody's food or something but he holds up and he and then he does this little, like, smelling salts jump back. I said, yeah, you should have the bartender smell it and see what's going on. He goes, okay. And wouldn't you know, and I got to give BJ's a free plug because I was impressed. By the way, change your name. It's just weird sitting here on television going, BJ. But anyway, the uh, manager comes walking by, and she goes, I heard we have a problem here. And I'm like, I don't I, 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 I What? What? And she says... We smelled your beer and it's awful. I don't, know what's, I don't know what's wrong. I just wanted you to know we took it off your tap. I said, are you sure? I drank half of it. I wasn't complaining. She goes, no, we really appreciate how you handled it. And we appreciate you getting another beer and we hope you're happy. And I said, all right. So number one, I was impressed and I want to give them a free plug. Number two, come on. The beer palate tastes the fruit so it rejects it. Smells the sourness. Finds another dark amber ale that's good. Look at that. Look at that. Why don't they have... What do you call them for wine? Sommeliers. Why do you not... Why are there... Are there beer sommeliers? That is my future. Is a beer sommelier. Because I, I have talent. Uh, okay, one more story before we get rolling. Oh, because hopefully you find me entertaining. <laughs> this was... I thought you were going to be a dog whisperer or a psychic. Oh, you know, I, I, I did have fun with that yesterday. That was fun. Uh, for those of you that don't know, yesterday I was reading a story about a woman that stopped being a lawyer in order to be a pet psychic. And you send a picture of your animal, and she just stares at the picture and, turn, and puts candles in her house. And then she says she telepathically talks to the picture picture and she can tell what your animal is thinking of and then she tells you the response and i thought well if she's charging 700 dollars a day for two readings i'll just charge 100 and i'll i'll do a lot better so i did that and one person took me up on it so general almost general general josh i want to give him the title general because anytime there's something expensive going on for the unplugged army he is there so I appreciate that. However, there's been events that he didn't make it to. And he's like allergic to the West side. So I don't want to give him too much credit. But it says on his Twitter handle uh, that he's U of A fam. So, okay. So he sends an eight second video of his dog staring at the, uh, at the camera. And then he says, all right, what you got? I'll pay a hundred dollars if I get a good reading. So I gave him the things that I could tell his dog was thinking by looking at me. So to paint the picture. There's an island. The dog is standing near the island, and then behind him, there's the the uh, stovetop, and there's something on the stove. Okay. So here, here's what I could tell. The four things I could tell by looking at Josh's dog. All right. Let, let's get this right. Here we go. Uh, I think I have this right here. Does this work? Number five. Okay, I don't want. I have four things. So let's go. Number. Five. Number one. Okay. Numero uno. Unbelievable. Number one is. Hey owner. How do you not know I'm in the CIA? Okay, that was number one. So he's, he's mocking his owner. The second thing that Josh's dog thinks.
4: Number two.
0: My birth mother named me Hot Cocoa. Why did you change it? <laughs> number three. Are you gonna get what's on the stove for me, or am I gonna have to jump up there and eat it after you leave? Yeah. Number four. four. And the fourth thing that, dog, that Josh's dog thinks, as a U of A fan, his dog thinks, hey, what happens to me if you ever find out I'm an ASU fan? Go Devils! That was it. That was the four things that Josh's dog thinks, if you're wondering. That I got to tell you, when I wrote it, it was highly entertaining. When I showed it to jo- uh, Jeff Weir Production, Jeff thought that was hysterical. And as I told the story to you, I didn't think it was very funny. I don't know. It just didn't translate as well while reading it. Just an opinionated statement. Uh, My drive into work today, oh my gosh, this is one of the top five dumbest things I've ever done. So I'm driving in, and just so you know, every morning I get a bagel and put cream cheese on it and then grab a Mountain Dew and a banana, and then I leave. And I have half the the, uh, bagel, big drink of Mountain Dew, half of the other bagel. Big drink of Mountain Dew, eat the banana, finish the Mountain Dew. And I also grab a paper towel. So I'm driving in, and when I was drive, walking through the garage, I felt something on my calf muscle. And I I thought, that, that kind of felt like a, smi- a spider or something. And I smacked my calf muscle, and then I don't feel anything else. All right, fine. So I get in, and I start driving. I've already had the breakfast. I'm driving on the 17 and for those of you that aren't from Phoenix or don't drive that route, there's there's not a lot of places more poorly designed, showing idiotic engineering and dangerous than where the westbound or eastbound 10 ramp dumps you into northbound 17. And the reason why is because it becomes a merge immediately lane or you're going to get trapped into an exit ramp. And all of the construction guys want that exit ramp that are coming up the 17. So they're all fighting to cut you off. You're trying to get over. You're only going about 40 miles an hour while everybody else is going 80. They just up the speed limit right there. Plus, when you finally get off that exit ramp, the, the lane you're on ends so now that lane's gone so you gotta jump two lanes of traffic at 40 miles an hour entering 80 mile an hour traffic in about half a block it's just stupid okay so right when that happens right when i'm getting ready to merge i feel that spider again (laughs) it's just whoa and then i start smacking my calf muscle and then nothing then about seriously a minute later there's I feel two of them, one on each shin. And now I, like, I don't have a fear of spiders, but I have a fear of any bug I can't see of what's about to happen to me. So I start doing this number. I start banging my feet, like stomping my feet like you're on wooden bleachers in high school. I'm going crazy trying to figure out a way to knock the spider off of me and to step on the spider. So I'm just going crazy, pounding my feet like nuts, and then I'm driving a semi, seriously going about 80, up the HOV ramp. I'm trying to avoid the semi driving while I'm stopping my feet, my head's going everywhere, I have no idea what's going on. And then I discover I have not cleaned out my car in a long time. The dust from stomping was so bad, I started having trouble breathing in the car. So now I've opened the windows. So I'm driving with open windows, dust everywhere, and I have no idea if I killed this spider. (sighs) Everything's all right. Pull into the parking lot here at work. No issues. And then I get out, and the light's on on the car now because I've opened the door. And as I'm getting out, I feel the spider again. I flip out, and then... (laughs) Remember when I told you the things I bring for breakfast? It was the paper towel. The paper towel that was on my lap had fallen down and it kept tickling the back of my legs or the, my shin or getting on my foot underneath. And all I was doing was stomping on a paper towel. I'm a winner. I am a winner. Thank you. Thank you. I killed the paper towel that was trying to cause a wreck and now i realize i need to clean out my car that's that's what i learned today i wonder what it was in the garage
3: though that's that what got me because it
0: couldn't have been the paper towel yeah so i don't know if something really did like land on me in the garage or if i just if i'm just a freak you know i don't i don't have any idea that was a so it was my crazy morning but I'm, I'm completely jacked up i am i am totally uh awake today okay uh, sound credits today. We got a lot of stuff. Uh, thanks to the Coyotes PR department for sending us the Lawson Krause. Uh, I took Drew Petzing and Nick Rollis from the azcardinals.com website. We actually took it from their YouTube channel uh, today. There is uh, a little bit of JG from earlier in the week, also from azcardinals.com, that I hadn't got to yet that I would really like to get to today. And then uh, Kenny Dillingham, we got him some really interesting stuff about the Oregon game from the Sun Devil Source YouTube channel. And then lastly, of course, Ron Minninger. Uh, we took Ron Minninger, and Ron Miniger is a today is a 30-minute block. He is the former COO of the Arizona Cardinals, and we talked to him for three hours on Saturday. If you missed any of it, I strongly encourage you to go back and either, if you are a member of WTSMTV.com, in at, at any level basic live or premium you can go back and watch monday and tuesday if you're a listener to the podcast where wherever it is you subscribe to it whether it's podbean whether it's apple google uh, amazon spotify you can find previous episodes and go back and listen to monday and tuesday because i think it's important to listen to them chronologically because the man got arrested for a horrible horrible dui and i think the first time when he was on monday I think it's important for him to come clean and earn your respect and, and establish his credibility or maybe in some people's cases, reestablish his credibility of why you can trust what he's talking about with the Arizona Cardinals. Yesterday was about the despicable decision. That's an opinionated statement by me from owner Michael Bidwill to use the Al- alcoholic anonymous. Uh, make amends letter which is recommended for all recovering alcoholics to reach out to the people that they've harmed and take accountability for their actions obviously not taking accountability for somebody else's actions just taking accountability for your actions well the cardinals according to ron minneger without permission use that make amends letter in order to attack another letter that ron minneger had written which is part of his potential resignation letter that was used to prove Michael Bidwell's ineptitude as a leader of his organization in a Terry McDonough-filed uh, arbitration complaint at the NFL level. So that is, wow, was that shocking. Today he talks about the meat of the matter with the Arizona Cardinals and Terry Bidwell and the complaint against Michael Bidwell, I said Terry Bidwell, I think, Terry McDonough and the complaint against Michael Bidwell and the use of burner phones. And that is today's major topic, and that's going to come up here in about 15 minutes of the burner phone conversation. So that's, that's all on today's show. I think we covered anything. Jeff, for your production, uh, how's the move going? Everything, anything in life going uh, crazy? No, everything's, uh, everything's pretty smooth so okay. far. good for you. Yep. Uh, all right, then. Let's roll. Doug's Big One. Doug's big one today. My number one opinion, the number one thing on my mind in the sports world, it hasn't happened yet because it's tonight, but I'm already jacked up for it. Suns, T-Wolves. You might not have been paying attention, and I understand a lot of people don't pay attention until the NBA, you just want, or until the, uh, uh, Christmas Day. You just want to know about the NBA. Hey, did the Suns win, and that's really all you care about, and you like going to games. But you don't really follow it closely. Minnesota is on fire, all right? Denver won last night. The defending na- uh, world champions are 9-2. Right behind them is Minnesota, eight and two and the current two seed to the playoffs. Now no, I don't care about everybody's standings, but I just want you to know how well Minnesota is playing. They're in town tonight, and for the first time, the Phoenix Suns, it is expected, will start the lineup that's supposed to have already been starting all year. We're now going into game number 11 of the season. And so far, we have not had the lineup start a game yet. Bradley Beal, Devin Booker in the backcourt, Nurkic at center, and then uh, Kevin Durant at the four, and then who is the revolving door? Who's that fifth starter? We don't know. Might be Bates Giap in order to have some size on the perimeter and a little bit of shooting. It might be a Kogi to be aggressive and play intense uh, backcourt defense. I don't know who's going to start, but the in that fifth spot. Now, I told you, I think this is the team that wins the world championship if healthy. The problem is, I'm not picking them to win the world championship because I don't think they can stay healthy. For 10 games, I've been right. I don't want to be right. This is a weird Doug's big one. Let's all hope I'm wrong. If they can come together, this is a championship team. But Frank Vogel runs a very complex defensive system, and so far the Suns have been totally falling on their face in that defensive system, especially in the fourth quarter. Plus, there's been a little bit of a bout of Nurkic foul trouble, which then he's not leading the defense. He also has to understand, and I get the pressure, when you're looking at a Hall of Famer over here, a Hall of Famer over here, and a really stud all-star over here, you're kind of a little nervous of, hey, you go this. KD, you got it. But, hey, Nurkic, that's your job. And right now you're struggling to communicate to the level that is needed in that position. The Suns need to start playing better throughout the game. now. I get it. It's November. Today is November 15th. It's not the end of the world if they don't have it figured out. But there's a difference between finding chemistry, learning your teammates, and advancing through the season and getting better every game than thinking you can flip a switch. The Lakers under LeBron James, other than the bubble, have always had this idea we can flip the switch and we'll be fine. We'll flip the switch and we'll be fine. And guess what? Every time they go to flip that switch, they forget Anthony Davis is soft. He doesn't have a switch. You're not going to get him to be able to play hard, game in, game out, be competitive, and not succumb to pressure in the postseason. That's who Anthony Davis is. So there's no switch for them to flip. If the Suns play in such a way that makes them think, hey, all we have to do is flip the switch and everything will be okay, then this Suns team is going nowhere. But there's a difference. If they play with intensity every night and the problem is learning each other, is chemistry, and is learning the defense, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But you can't have that without the intensity. I would love to see better transition defense, less fouling, more communication, and get out and run. Start taking advantage of your athleticism and let's go. I'm afraid, though, they might be thinking we're too old to run. And if that's the case, then they're not as good as I hope for. But I'm a fan, and I'm excited for tonight. That's Doug's big one today here on WTSMTV.com. Thanks for being a part of Doug Franz Unplugged. Coming up next, it's going to be one of the bigger stories in the national media once they get a hold of what Ron Minninger has to say. And I think there's one tidbit that he's going to drop. That is new, only reported by Doug Franz Unplugged and WTSMTV.com. I'll explain next. Thanks for watching. This is Doug Franz Unplugged presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pats.
3: It was exciting. I'm really pleased with kind of how he handled everything, how the team responded. And certainly, it was a good step in the right direction. There's plenty of things to clean up, but it was really good first his
0: I know it's a little bit difficult to understand this but right now is a fantastic time to get a new air conditioner your ac unit has worked unbelievably hard in one of the hottest summers on record in the city of phoenix well right now parker and sons has stocked up on air conditioners for the summer and now the summer's over so they're not nearly as expensive to get those units because they need to move them on so you get that tremendous advantage on price now if you're not sure if you need a new air conditioner Join the Parker Family Plan. We've been on the Parker Family Plan since about, oh, I don't know, a year or two after we moved here, and it's been fantastic. I totally believe they helped extend the life of our current unit by keeping it up to date with its warranty, warned us of pending doom, we admit, and eventually we got a new one from Parker and & Sons and saved a lot of money because we were on the Parker Family Plan. Call 6022-REPAIR. That's 602, the number two. Then R-E-P-A-I-R for Parker & Sons. Rosati Sports Pub in Chandler. It's on Ray and McQueen. Sounds like a sports bar. What's the difference? You walk in and they actually have games on TV with the sound on. How many times do you walk into a supposed sports bar and they've got loud music on or somebody playing live or some kind of trivia game going on and you're there to watch the game? If you're like me, a simple guy, give me my pizza, give me my wings, give me my cold beer and make sure I can hear the Suns and D-backs, then you want Rosati Sports Pub and Chandler. All members of the Unplugged Army, welcome. Rosati Sports Pub, give me the game. being a part of Doug Franz Unplugged here on WTSMTV.com. What you are about to hear is part three of our series that's going to be going on all week here on WTSMTV.com with the former COO of the Arizona Cardinals, Ron Minninger. If you're new to the show, you don't know my involvement uh, in this situation. It's really simple. I Uh, This is a strange town. Phoenix is a strange town. We're the only city in America that has all four pro sports teams, Division I football, Division I basketball, and all six of those teams I just mentioned are on the same radio station. Think about that. Like other markets, you have one team here, one team here, and then you get good balanced coverage because everybody's competing in order to get leads, get information, and get that to the public. And we have not everybody, but we have a large contingent of the media that are suck ups and therefore they don't go places where stories should be taking them. And I believe I don't know this for a fact, but I believe one of the reasons why I got fired from a, a radio station in town is because I'm not afraid. And I'll say what I think needs to be said. And uh, I became a little uncontrollable because they own the rights to all of those teams. They wanted to be partners with the teams. I just wanted to be fair. Praise teams when they deserve it, not to praise teams when they don't. And then there's a man by the name of Terry McDonough who filed an arbitration case against the Arizona Cardinals. But you have to file all of that stuff with the NFL, no matter what. It's part of the agreement of any employee. I think that's crappy, but a ton of businesses do that. So you can't just blast the NFL. You want to work for them, you play you play their game, you play by their rules. Okay, so be it. Well, I, I didn't have any I, I don't know any better. I read the arbitration case. Okay, whatever. And then a man by the name of Jim McCarthy, I believe is paid by the Arizona Cardinals. Now, when I say I believe, when he issued his statement defending the Arizona Cardinals. It actually says on the top of the, uh, of the statement that, you, uh, that he's with the Cardinals. It says, a tribute to Jim McCarthy, external public relations advisor to the Cardinals. So this guy's either working for free or was paid by the Cardinals to issue a statement. So in defending the Arizona Cardinals, he actually, and this is crazy to me, he actually accused Terry McDonough of abandoning one of his children and said, we've heard reports, we've received reports of domestic violence. Nothing to back up, nothing to investigate for the Cardinal. Just, here you go. Let's just throw this trash out there. I thought that was the most unprofessional thing I've ever seen a business, not a sports team, a business do. And, and quite frankly, that pissed me off. So I wanted to dig deeper to see if there was anything there. Then Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk did a good job reporting in which he got a copy of a letter that he didn't publish entirely, but he published excerpts of, which was the resignation letter of Ron Minniger. The reason why that was important is because in the Terry McDonough case, they used portions of the Ron Minniger resignation letter in order to prove their case that Michael Bidwell is not a good leader and therefore can't be trusted and they are talking about a situation where Terry McDonough claims that uh, Michael Bidwell was the spearhead of a burner phone situation in order to circumvent the suspension received by Steve Keim when he was arrested for a DUI in July of 2018. So with that, Steve Wilkes and Terry McDonough were instructed, according to Terry McDonough's case, to report to Steve Kime still by using of the burner phones. They didn't want to do it for their own ethical reasons. And according to the complaint, that was basically the beginning of the end of Terry McDonough's NFL career, especially as it relates with the Arizona Cardinals. So that's that case. Well, where I got heavily involved with this is when I read Mike Florio's report, In which that make amends letter, which is a secondary piece, which was written two and a half, two years later, something like that, by Ron Miniger, addressed in an email to Michael Bidwell, apologizing for the things he had done wrong in their relationship, as everyone that goes through Alcoholics Anonymous is kind of required to do, but obviously everything is a suggestion. The Cardinals actually used parts of that make amends letter to defend themselves without the permission of Terry McDonough. So when I put all of that together, the statement by Jim McCarthy attacking Terry McDonough's character when the complaint is football-related, and then in turn seeing how low the Cardinals were willing to go to defend themselves, I said, I'm going to keep digging on this story, and I'm going to go until I feel satisfied. I think that's my job. You, I can only get paid by how many times you listen to Doug Franz Unplugged, how many times you watch Doug Franz Unplugged on WTSMTV.com. So you show me whether or not I'm making the right decision because I am in business as well. But I just detest this situation, and I think it's my job to keep going. And eventually, Ron Miniger decided, you know what? I'll come on Doug Franz Unplugged and explain my story and my opinion of the events and my recollection of what's happened show number one on monday was about his dui and was about his credibility i think i owed you that as a viewer and a listener that if i'm going to put this guy on to explain some very serious charges we need to know if we can trust him that's up to you to judge do i yes i do however that's why Monday's show exists. Yesterday's show was about that letter that I just explained. His letter that he had had written in his coat pocket, determining when he was going to give it to Michael Bidwell based on his mood on that situation. And the letter did not say I resigned, but it said, I think we need to discuss what my resignation would look like, how we could part ways. And then the make amends letter and how it was used without his permission that he wrote two and a half years later. That was yesterday's show. So today's show begins a different topic, the actual topic of the burner phones themselves. Allegedly from Terry McDonough, these burner phones were, to, were given to them and they were expected to be used in order to, to continue conversations and be under the leadership of Steve Keim, of which Steve Wilkes and Terry McDonough did not like and did not want to do. According to ESPN.com, you should know this. ESPN wrote an article on this situation with the Arizona Cardinals in which they were able to attain commentary of the deposition from Steve Wilkes, the current defensive coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers, and at the time, the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. He testified that the statement from Jim McCarthy is not his recollection. He didn't call anybody a liar. But he just said very simply, this is how it occurred with me. Jim McCarthy claims that Michael Bidwell found out about the use of the burner phones, was outraged and immediately had them collected and put a stop to this. However, Steve Wilkes says his burner phone wasn't collected until the current COO of the Detroit Lions, Michael Disner, collected all of the burner phones after Steve Kimes return. That means somebody doesn't know what they're talking about. Either Jim McCarthy's lying with a written statement that he's never had to testify about, or Steve Wilkes is lying under the promise of honesty within the confines of an arbitration case. You decide who you believe after you listen to Ron Miniger, the former COO of the Arizona Cardinals. We are currently still waiting for a result from the NFL, yeah. in which Terry McDonough, the former assistant general manager, is involved in an arbitration case against Michael Bidwell, stating that irreparable harm to his character and to his credibility and yeah. to him in the future of employment because of Michael Bidwell seeing a burner phone situation. So, yeah. Steve Kime, uh, general manager, gets arrested for a DUI yeah. on July 4th of 2018. He then serves a team-issued suspension now, for some people, that's a huge, hugely important because yeah. it's almost like, what does it matter if they broke the rules of a team issued sure. suspension? Yeah. But let me make sure I understand you at the time are the CEO or COO of the Arizona Cardinals when this takes place. right? And this suspension handed down by Michael, which was unbelievably strong, was in lieu of an NFL suspension. So really, it's like the NFL would have been involved if it wasn't for Michael. So. Aren't you breaking the terms of a suspension that you're doing in order to make sure the NFL understands you're taking this seriously? Sure. Am I characterizing that? Yeah, right? I,
5: I think that's fair. I think at the end of the day, you know, um, you're, you're right in a couple aspects. Number one, the you know the um, the penalties uh, you know that Steve paid uh, were very stiff in terms of dollar amounts, time off, you know, the the suspended time, uh, and all the other things that were almost the same same exact thing that I had, mm-hmm. uh, you know, unfortunately uh, later on, um, and it is is my recollection and my understanding that, um, you know, Michael, you know, took a strong statement on that uh, in lieu of the league doing that, right? Uh, I'm sure that if a club was in a situation like that where they didn't take action, the league would be in a position they were, would do something, uh, mm-hmm. they would have to do something about right. it. So um, I think Mike was, Michael was being proactive and, you know, he, he stated publicly that, you know, here, here's what we're doing, right? So mm-hmm. that was very public, obviously, as to what the suspension was.
0: Well, I don't know if you were a part of it or you knew a About it, but do you know where their burner phones used? Well,
5: I I will tell you this, and it's it's hard for me to forget this day because it happened to be my birthday. But on July 23rd, uh, I guess I was 18, if I remember right. um, You know, I'm in my office, and I'm I'm guessing it's I don't know. I got in pretty early that day. Um, and uh, probably about uh, maybe 9, 9.15 or something like that, Terry uh, McDonough comes into my office and uh, he uh, started to shut the door, uh, which is always an indication that I'm about to have, uh, my day is about to get interesting, right? And I asked him not to shut the door because one of the things in our building is that just, if anybody that's working behind closed doors, it was just kind of frowned upon, right? And, and I, I don't have any issues with that. I'd rather have everything be out in the open anyway. So Terry comes in, sits down, and he proceeds to start, he was really uh, apprehensive, I think would be a great way to characterize it, but he uh, filled me in on a conversation that he and Coach Wilkes had just had uh, about uh, the fact that uh, you know, they, were, they were given burner phones. Uh, and uh, that who uh, was those two, uh, Michael uh, and several other uh, guys on our football operations uh, department um, to, to talk to Steve and, uh, you know, during the course of the suspension. And, um, you know, both uh, Coach Wilkes, uh, this is part of my conversation with Terry. Coach Wilkes and Terry agreed that, hey, I'm not comfortable with this, right? We, we've gone So out.
0: Terry and Steve Wilkes talk first. Yeah. Then Terry comes into your office to relay yeah. that
5: conversation. He, 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 did, he didn't. They didn't know what to do. Right? Okay, and uh, you know, partly because I got gray hair, and uh, you know, and that makes me wise. I think Terry came into the office and into my office and said, "Hey, what do I do?" Right. So he walked me through, you know, what had transpired. Walked me through the, you know, the conversation that he and Coach Wilkes had, had just had. And uh, as we're having this conversation. Uh, I I see some motion out of my front of my eye as I'm, you know, Terry sitting here and my door's over here and Michael walks by. And he uh, sees Terry and I talking and he, I, I got one the, of the glares that I got used to uh, to seeing wasn't happy to see Terry and I and talking and, and uh, you know, didn't know what the topic was and like that. So he goes into his office and then, you know, Terry finishes, uh, you know, uh, com, you know, continues to tell me the story, uh, you know, and I said, Terry, I said, I agree. I said, you know, we won't, we went public and we said we weren't going to you know have any communication with with Steve. And matter of fact, I think there was a statement that was made as, you know, well, we can't talk to Steve we can sure think like Steve or something like that right uh, and I said uh, you know if you guys feel that way feel that strong life, I don't think you have any choice but to talk to Michael about it right and the way I remember that morning going is um, um, at some point you know Terry was down on the field Michael was down on the field uh, practice is, is coming to an end uh, whatever the activities that were going on in the field and I had just gone out coincidentally to my car. I forget what I had left out in the back of my car, but I went out to get it. And as I was walking back, we have a, a kind of a back uh, porch area that you're familiar with. We've got the glass doors um, to the um, to the locker rooms. Uh, and then the practice fields are on the other side of that, and I was going to, uh, you know, walk a little bit further down, cut into the locker room, then go up the back stairs up into my office, and I saw Terry approach, you know, Michael at the end of, uh, you know, at the end of the session, and I saw the reaction. Now I could not hear everything that was being said at that point in time, but I could see a very animated conversation going on. Uh, and uh, the next thing I know, uh, I'm hearing that, you know, Terry's getting suspended uh, and, uh, you know, there were you know, pretty serious repercussions for him at that point in time. I know he got demoted uh, a number of times after that. The one thing I noticed right away was um, we used to do these, I think we just called for the football meetings, and, you know, I'm not a football guy, but we had a meeting that was, um, you know, myself, head coach, general manager, um, and media relations guy, and, and the owner, uh, Michael, uh, every, every, I think it was Tuesdays, 9 o'clock, if I remember right. And uh, from that point on, or shortly thereafter anyway, Steve, or uh, excuse me, Terry was no longer part of those meetings, which was uh, really striking to me. And then I also noticed that, uh, you know, from, from that day forward, Terry, who had been and then this owner suite with us uh, you know i that's where i watched every game from was the owner suite terry for i forget how many years but it was a ton of years um, had you know sat in the in the owner's suite with us on game day, and he was no longer there. So that conversation didn't go very well, uh, and I think uh, there were other consequences of that uh, of that uh, that conversation that Mike, uh, Terry and Michael had on the field that you know I can talk about later. But uh, no,
0: let's 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 go there because yeah. let's face it. If I am a if I'm a criminal lawyer right now yeah. questioning you and you're on the stand, I would immediately say again, wait, were you a part of that conversation no, on the well, field? I, did yeah. you hear any of that conversation nope. on the field? And then I would say no nope. further questions. Nope. But in the realm of a kind of more of a civil trial, when the argumentative proof is more, more, more likely than not, it seems pretty fair to say that you weren't in the conversation mm-hmm. that allowed Terry to know about the burner phones, but you were directly involved when Terry brought it to you. Yeah. You agreed at that time, you need to talk to Michael hours after that conversation, you see him in a conversation with Michael and you can read the body language that any human being can of an upset person. And you would characterize Michael as upset during that conversation. The reason why I'm reiterating those points and want to get to the bottom of that is this in the Terry McDonough arbitration complaint Mm -hmm. that he filed with the NFL, he specifically says he had that conversation and approached Michael. And from that point on, so even though you weren't in that conversation without being able to verify legally, but more on the basis of you're an intelligent person that was part of the conversation. Sure. It is your total belief that that's exactly when that conversation.
5: Yeah, and, and uh, maybe that's a great way to say it. It is absolutely my belief. Um, I'll let others connect the dots. You know, I'm okay. not here to you know have a Leo conversation about any of this or any of that. But um, when asked the question, you know, uh, here's here's what my involvement was. Right, and you can come to your own conclusions. Number number one, uh, Terry spoke to Coach Wilkes. Uh, at least that's what Terry and, uh, and told me. Terry came into my office uh, that morning, walked me through, you know, what I just told you about the burner phones and stuff like that. Um, I said to him, and I feel bad to this day that, you know, I gave him the directions. You don't have any choice, but if you're not comfortable with this, you guys, both you and Coach Wilkes, need to talk to Michael about it. Uh, he leaves. While later, practice is wrapping up uh, and I'm walking back in, I see physically what's happening on the field. There's a, you know, at the end of the back of the field, there is a, you know, animated conversation going on. And then um, whether it was the next day or days later, you know, Terry was no longer in our football meetings uh, and Terry wasn't on, uh, you know, wasn't the. you know, in the in the owner suite. And then I, I forget the exact timing, but, you know, then Terry at some point in time uh, was no longer, uh, you know, in the building. He was working out of the East Coast. Uh, oh. Can't remember if it was Carolina or whatever. So there was a progression of things here. And I, I, I do feel bad because at the end of the day, you know, I, I, I did tell him, you, you got to talk to Michael. You don't have a choice.
0: So to make sure that I'm still with everything, it's a lot of detail. Steve Keim gets the DUI on July 4th, serves his time in jail, serves his suspension. Um, terry in his arbitration complaint says michael bidwell designed a plan in order to be able to contact steve Kime through individual burner phones for those of you that might not know this espn has already reported on steve wilkes speaking to the nfl in the arbitration case steve wilkes has not gone public with anything he said but espn says it was michael disner who is now the coo of the detroit lions who collected the phones after the fact, well after Steve Kime returned to the building. However, in the Jim McCarthy statement about the burner phone situation in retaliation against Terry, uh, Terry McDonough's arbitration complaint, he says, Somebody else was the leader of the burner phones. Michael found out about it and immediately collected the burner phones and put a stop to it. Yes. So I have to ask, were you the leader of the burner phones? Because no. according to Michael, it wasn't him. No. No. Okay. No. So then do you have any recollection during Steve Kimes suspension of Terry coming into your office and saying, Michael did the right thing and collected the burner phones? No. So no. He, he came to talk to you, when he was going to be given a burner phone. But if Michael's version of events are correct, or at least Jim McCarthy's statement, that Michael collected the burner phones immediately, that would lend me to believe that that was true. Of course, he would have come and then had a conversation with you and said, okay, this is now over. And that conversation never happened.
5: No, it didn't. And and I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm all-knowing and all-powerful and and know every single detail on this thing. But I I would have thought, given the relationships that I had in the building, given, um, you know, the, the, uh, relationships I had with you know with Terry with Michael with Steve Kime with coach Wilkes and with all these people that um, had the second part of what you just described where the burner bones were collected you know uh, I think I would have heard about that I did so I'm assuming that too. yeah I'll let others connect the dots <laughs> um, I'm not here for that all I, I'm, I can do is talk about what um, you know I personally witnessed Does that was you know Terry coming <laughs> in my office and me giving you know what turned out to be some really bad uh, career advice for Terry unfortunately.
0: I totally remember as a member of the media. Yeah. How, and this was back when the Cardinals allowed me, credentialed me once the Cardinals knew I know about all this stuff, they stopped yep. credentialing me. But when I was credentialed, my seat in the press box right over my right shoulder, Terry McDonough was never there. Yeah. And then suddenly, in the exact time frame you're talking about, Terry McDonough is sitting as the most well-dressed member of the media all of yeah. a sudden. And he's the assistant general manager. Yeah. So I knew something was weird. Yeah. What I didn't know until today was you saying there's a football meeting of which you're a part of, media relations is part of, coach is a part of, owner's a part of, and normally Steve Keim, general manager. Yeah. Steve Keim gets suspended, you have Um, Terry McDonough in those meetings for a while and then soon after this outdoor conversation that you saw following your Terry McDonough conversation, Terry's no longer in a football meeting. Right. So Michael Bidwill, the owner of the Arizona Cardinals, is having a football meeting with the guy in charge of his business side, yeah. the guy in charge of his media relations, and his head coach. Yeah. But in a sense, was anyone from personnel
5: now that... No. And, and so let's, let's clarify that the, the football meeting is what we called it, right? Because uh-huh. um, I, I would do a department head meeting with my uh, department heads at 10 o'clock. Uh, I think it was Tuesdays most days, and then we started doing this thing. And, and, and there, there, there was a good intent for this meeting, I think initially it was to get some of the senior people on both the business side and on the football side together with the owner and talk at a 10,000 foot level as to the major things that were going on, right? Um, because one of the things that you wanna do if you're gonna have a you know, good organization is make sure that they're, they're completely different uh, functions, you know, the business side and the football side, but the two better speak, right? The two better understand what's going on on, on each side of the building. And so when I call a football meeting, it's not in there that Ron Minninger is, you know, uh, making uh, player personnel you know suggestions <laughs> yes. and things of that nature or suggesting we ought to switch <clears> our defensive, you know, you know, lineup or anything like that. It's not that kind of thing. And meeting. thank God yeah, for yeah, that. Yeah, thank well, in, in retrospect, I think you underestimate me, uh, <laughs> Doug, uh, and it's hurtful. But uh, no, it's, uh, it was, uh, you know, so you call what you want, but it was a meeting yeah. where we had uh, our football, uh, uh, you know, our, our senior football folks, our, our head coach, general manager, and up to that point in time, Terry, uh, unless he was on the road scouting or something like that, uh, our owner, uh, media relations member, myself. you
0: know, the, That really strikes a chord then listening to that because the main point of you bringing that up is it is your opinion that Terry McDonough's career changed dramatically, with, at least with the Cardinals. Once that on-field meeting take place, that's fact that he's not in a meeting that he used to be a part of at the exact same time yeah. where terry in his mind in the arbitration filing right. is saying i had a conversation with michael that steve and i steve wilkes not kime believe we can do this without steve kime until he comes back yeah we don't want to follow along and they have serious ethical concerns when the organization is saying this is the direction we're going publicly and sure. now this is going on so i ask you a, a, a strange question now yeah. Did Michael ever talk to you about the burner phone? No, no. So did you ever talk to him about it? No. So does he know, maybe even before today, does he have any idea you had that conversation with Terry or
5: did he ever figure out that's what it was about? It's a great question. Uh, Don't know the answer to that one. Okay. I really don't know the
0: answer. Because what's weird about this, and I'm I'm speculating now myself, If we follow a path that Michael Bidwell is telling the truth and Terry McDonough is misrepresenting the truth, if we pretend to follow that path, if Michael Bidwell found out that something is happening in his organization, that someone started a burner phone, just as Jim McCarthy alleges, and immediately put a stop to it, you as COO would have had to have had a conversation, I assume, about the punishment that that person would have received for starting the burner phone. I mean, if Michael found out about it, that it started from someone else, it's uh, almost like the famous A Few Good Men movie. Well, why the second order here? He would have said, okay, I'm now angry that you tried to to violate the suspension, whoever it was, put a stop to it. I have to assume you would have known about a suspension or a punishment of the person he discovered started I, I, I think this. I would have known about the suspension,
5: the punishment, but I'm not sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have been the first person he would have gone to. I think, and this is complete speculation, I I'm speculating about everything sure. right? Yeah, now. yeah. He, I, my my, my gut, gut would be that Michael would have gone and talked to uh, Steve when he came back. Um, and said, hey, this is uh, um, what went on. So I truly believe going back to one of the earlier points you made that, uh, um, you know, I I know what I know relative to the, you know, Terry coming to my office and the conversation we had, Mm -hmm. I know that to be fact. Uh, And I saw what my eyes saw on the practice field, right? And then I'm, you know, anybody else can come to conclusions as to why Terry was no longer in the owner suite and why Terry was no longer, uh, you know, um, as part of that, uh, those meetings. Um, So, so, Terry's life changed pretty dramatically um, that day. And uh, and this next thing I'm about to say is is my opinion, my opinion only, but I think that is also the day that, uh, not as publicly, uh, but I think that's also the day that, uh, you know, Steve Wilk's um, future with the club uh, was started, uh, started going down a certain path. Uh,
0: This is still preseason then. Yeah. I mean, so this you know, once, is this man's first time as an NFL head coach. Yeah. And your opinion is it was starting to get derailed before he really ever got to coach he, a game he, he, because his refusal to take part he, in the
5: and, and Once again, this is just me speculating. Right. But I just my sense, and you know, very shortly, not not weeks, but probably a month or so later, um, I, I started noticing this pattern in our meetings in these in these. Quote, minutes, unquote, football yeah. Uh and, um, and, and maybe some of it was just respect of, you know, the, the season wasn't going the way we wanted, stuff like that. But I just saw... Uh, a change in um, you know how conversations between Michael and Coach Wilkes went, and they were a lot shorter. That were they were a lot gruffer. They were a lot. Uh, there there wasn't any you know any uh, hey we're we're in this thing together kind of a feeling like like there had been in the months leading up to that. And anybody that knows Coach Wilkes, I think you'll come to a couple of conclusions. Number one, he's a, he's a talented guy. I think he's a really talented guy. Number two, he's one of the you know great human beings on the face of the Earth. Real salted the earth guy. And, and I didn't quite understand how we, you know, went from point A to point B as quickly as we did. And, and it's, you know, been the last couple of years that I, I've come to the realization, at least in my own mind, and the belief that, you know, uh, Coach Wilkes's fortunes uh, started to, to turn. I don't say they, they completely turned, but I think they started to shift and uh, you know, on that particular day.
0: So I can tell you the real point of the Terry McDonough arbitration case is in a sense financial or at least clearing his name job-wise to get back into the NFL if he chooses, to prove he's a good assistant general manager and the only reason why he was demoted would be because of his lack of involvement in the burner funds. Again, that's from the arbitration that has nothing to do with Ron Miniger. But what you are kind of validating is what you witnessed of, of a lesser involved in these events. So I would assume if I'm an arbitrator in this case, I want to know your point of view because you were a witness to some of these things. Yeah. So in your discussions with the NFL, how did that go?
5: Well, I haven't had any discussions with the NFL. Um, you know, the, and and I, I'm going to. Wait,
0: what, the, the arbitration case started in April yeah. from Terry McDonough. Yep. If the NFL truly wants to get to the bottom of this and find out the different points of view, yeah. it. <laughs> I'm a little appalled here. Ron Miniger has not taken the stand, quote unquote, or yeah. given a deposition or made a statement directly in front of the NFL arbitrator yet.
5: Well, let me let me just say a couple of things now. And first of all, I'm gonna I'm just gonna state state this, um, you know, strongly on the front end is uh, I, I I love the NFL, I love the shield, right? And there's a huge part of me that wants to trust the process and and is trusting the process, right? Uh, because I, I've never been involved personally with an NFL arbitration case i can't tell you i know the schematics as to what happens from start to finish Uh, i know that uh, things they they want to try to do it be you know behind closed doors and out of the public eye and that's probably the way it needs to be which is in business as well that's not an nfl thing absolutely and so i I, I'm, i'm gonna um you know take a minute just to say i i don't know what exactly, where they are in the process. The only thing I've heard is I think sometime in December uh, is I think when the arbitration process is supposed to be coming to an end. So we're a little less than a month away from that. Whether you're right or wrong with that,
0: if it's supposed to come to an end at some point in December, we're recording this today. Today is Saturday, November 11th for our recording. Yeah, That means your belief is we're at about a window of three and a half to four weeks before this comes to closure. Yeah. I would assume you would either testify via Zoom or at least maybe going to New York, something like that. Sure. Shouldn't they have contacted you by now if (laughs) you were going to be giving a statement? Yeah, you
5: know, well. Seems like we're in a time crunch now. Well, I guess a couple things. Number one, uh, back in April, if you go back and I I think I'm right when I say this, if you read Mike Florio's piece, Mm -hmm. uh, going back to April 4th or whatever it was, I think at some point there where uh, I was responding to Michael and McCarthy mischaracterizing my uh, uh, make amends letter, one of the things I said uh, when I corrected the record to the extent that I could in in that kind of a forum, I made some comment about, and I'm um, you know willing to discuss it was with us with all the NFL involved parties, right? So I put it out there back then that whether it's whether it's you know Terry uh, and his attorneys or Michael and his attorneys or the league itself, I'll talk to anybody about uh, any of those aspects. Uh, How often has the NFL contacted you since then? I have not heard a word from him and and not say that I should have or would have expected to, uh, but it it does strike me as, um, you know, Ron Meninger is not central to this case by any way, shape, Mm -hmm. or form, uh, but there are elements here that uh, I thought would be, you know, something that they would be at least interested in in hearing.
0: Well, I... I have no problem bouncing back and forth between investigative journalists here and opinionated (laughs) talk shows. That's ridiculous that the NFL is pretending to drive a stake into the Tom Brady situation, wanting to get to the bottom of it, presenting themselves as the be all end all fair arbitrators. And then with a month left, potentially in this hearing, we're five, six months. Maybe even seven months into this arbitration case, and the NFL hasn't reached out to Ron Miniger, who has real yeah. knowledge of parts of
5: the situation. Yeah. Once again, Doug, I you know I, I appreciate your passion for it because you're coming at it from a you know a completely different perspective, and and I'm not saying that uh, you know that uh, you know your perspective isn't uh, absolutely right uh, in some respects. But I'll, I'll say this: um, I truly. I got a lot of respect for Roger and the people in the front office. Do I agree with everything that's going on at the league I've Never have, never will. I don't think anybody could say that, right. right? But generally speaking, if you take a look at how, you know, uh, Roger and his uh, the collection of uh, executives have grown the game of football over the years, they've done a they've done yeah. a really good job. Uh, you know, nothing's perfect, but they they've done a pretty good job. So there's a big part of me that wants to believe that okay, the things that should be happening in arbitration process are happening behind closed doors. I'm just not aware of them, and whether um, the you know the stuff that you and I have talked about is um you know rises to the level of importance in their minds mm-hmm. that's that's up to them to decide uh but as I, as I said i think i must have had an expectation that somewhere along the line uh, i'd get asked the question because i actually put that out as i said earlier in my response to florio that Absolutely. i willing to talk to you know any of the uh, involved parties
0: as far as it relates to the burner phone case yeah. you have already stated you, you wish in a sense you weren't here possibly because I'm starting to smell, <laughs> but but also because you, when you're living on Hermosa Beach and a sober life, the last time your mugshot went public, the last yeah. time you had to talk about the DUI, it's still present in your life, but it wasn't present in anybody else's. Your credibility wasn't questioned sure. or on the line. You were having a nice quiet life, but one of the things just like Godfather three that pulled you back in was the McCarthy statement. Yeah. And and McCarthy as paid for, I'm assuming I can't prove it, but it says on the statement itself that the Arizona Cardinals for the Arizona Cardinals, and I don't think people work for free. But Jim McCarthy's statement was, uh, quote, after we, and we meaning the Arizona Cardinals, after we hired Terry, we came into information that he abandoned his responsibility to one of his children. Yeah. Yeah.
5: That's evil. That is evil. Um, You know, uh, that is so far out of bounds, so far out of line. Um, I'll just say this, and I I don't typically say things like this, but I'm gonna, in this case, my dad used to tell me, you know, the only way you can deal with a bully is to punch him in the mouth. And if McCarthy was standing here right now, um, it would be a bully getting punched in the fucking mouth. Pardon my French. Hmm.
0: Over time, a troubling pattern emerged in Terry's conduct. His friction with colleagues and willful insubordination would lead to reprimands, then seemingly real contrition. Do you have a as a col? You were a colleague, yeah. so in a sense, this is speaking for potentially sure. you and others. But yeah. you're one small snippet. Then, did you have a great deal of friction with Terry McDonnell? No. Was he
5: insubordinate to you? No, never. He, Terry, Terry, I you know, he, I love Terry, um, and, and one of the reasons I love Terry is uh, he was one of the, the guys in the building, or the people in the building that I could ask a question of and get a get a real answer not an answer it's, you know about a player for example hey what do you think of this guy or whatever and I'm asking from a guy that's on the business side get yeah. that right but I will ask questions of you know the guys in the building of you know what do you think of this guy what do you think of that guy how do, you, how do you play blah 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 and Terry would always give me the absolute straight answer whether it was good bad or indifferent right didn't try to sugarcoat it didn't try to figure out where it might best serve him to land on the answer stuff like that right. uh, and I uh, always had a great relationship mm-hmm. you know guy's got a you know big strong firm handshake. Those are the kind of, you know, guys that uh, I appreciate. Um, I also know, you know, like uh, I'd see when Terry was in town, um, and even after you know he got moved out, if let's say he was uh, uh, the way our configuration is in the office is the back then was, you know, to, to get to the men's room, you have to walk past some of the finance folks and uh, all the people in finance loved him. You know, I think Terry is, uh, um, you know, he, Terry's a good man and, 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 and Terry's a, a really quality football guy who was on the path in my mind to mm-hmm. get a GM job in this league. Uh, and those are those are plum jobs, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, from from a lot of perspectives. Uh, but. Uh, uh, let's let's take this, uh, let's just say, Terry, uh, you know, I didn't know Terry as well as I do. And I do know Terry pretty well. Uh, nobody deserves to be characterized publicly like Terry was. And, and I will just say this, I know enough about Terry and I've heard him talk about his family over the years in such a way where I know that stuff's not true. And shame on Michael Bidwell mm. and shame on the Cardinals for, and Jim McCarthy for saying that.
0: It's wrong because it, it, it gets worse during the time that one of our previous executives was serving a even imposed suspension for misconduct unrelated to the organization and we know that to be speculating but that's steve kime the general manager who was arrested for a dui we took additional measures when learned uh when we learned that another executive had interfered with the protocol of that suspension meaning the burner fault. That second incident involved obtaining mobile phones for communicating during the suspension period. Mr. Bidwell took swift action when he learned of that situation and directed the phones be retrieved, communication stopped. Terry was not privy to the full sequence of those circumstances, but has nevertheless contrived the situation as a broad conspiracy to undermine him personally. It's interesting for that to be true. Then the entire case of the Steve Wilkes deposition in that arbitration is false. Again, as reported by ESPN, none of us were there to hear it. But they say Steve Wilkes said he had the burner phone until Michael Disner collected it from him after the return of Steve Kahn. You can't validate that part of it. But can you revalidate your opinion of Steve Wilkes? as a man, whether he's a man of integrity or not in that situation.
5: If Steve Wilkson is, isn't a man of integrity, then I don't know a man of integrity. Um, Steve is a classy guy mm. that uh, impressed me in the short time he was there, of not only being talented and, 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 and skilled and a, a leader of men, but uh, you know, um, anybody that would try to impugn his character, I think would be uh, sorely misguided.
0: That is the information that I have now accumulated within the 3-hour conversation recorded on Saturday with the former COO of the Arizona Cardinals Ron Minninger. Monday, the DUI and his credibility, Tuesday, the unprofessional use of his make amends letter and resignation letter in order to defend themselves by the Arizona Cardinals and today his version of events that led up to the use of the burner phones. Again, Ron Minniger cannot validate in any way that the burner phones were given to Terry McDonough and Steve Wilkes by Michael Bidwill himself. That, that Nowhere has anybody been able to accuse specifically that, that Michael was in the office, gave, it, gave out burner phones or anything like that. But the three things to me that grabbed me the most out of the conversation there was... Ron Miniger and Terry McDonough had a conversation about Terry's apprehension with the burner phones. That established, and plus when Ron Minninger said it was my birthday. I mean, that, that that's a pretty good way to set a timeline. Then that very day, after the conversation that is you need to go talk to Michael about it, Terry McDonough witnesses on the field and a, a, a disagreeable conversation between McDonough and Michael Bidwell. No one except those two men know what that conversation was about. I have no problem speculating what it was about as I have been able to, to lead through actual facts and then speculatory opinions after something like that. And then the whole case of the arbitration is basically attacking the Arizona Cardinals for Terry McDonough's career of this is where my career went downhill and this is why. And that's not fair. If I choose not to cheat, why in the world do I lose my career over it? Do I get demoted over it? Do I um, lose money over it? From an Arizona Cardinal point of view, not that they want me speaking for them, they're saying the burner phones happened, but Michael Bidwell ended it. Therefore, that conversation could never have been about the burner phones because Michael didn't want it to happen. And then they'll try to say Terry's demotions were because of these other things, which is abandoning a child, potential domestic violence, anger in the workplace, insubordination. Well, the former COO says he was never insubordinate to him, says Steve Wilkes is a man of great character, and Steve Wilkes testified about the burner phones as well. Right now, if this is in Vegas... The odds look pretty good on Terry McDonough if this case is actually heard by an impartial arbitrator. But keep in mind, the, uh, the arbitrator has been chosen by the NFL. Who knows if the NFL has the courage to do what's right here. But this is an interesting story as it develops. Okay, tomorrow. When we talked to Ron Miniger, uh well, again, part of the recording, I just felt like you're not going to want to hear three straight hours. That was my opinion, my decision. You decide if you agree with me. So I've been breaking it up between 15 and 30 minute blocks for Doug Franz Unplugged. Tomorrow comes with a different part of the situation. In the Terry McDonough arbitration case, he claims that there was a survey that was issued by the Cardinals through a th- third company, They're an independent company that then tried to uh, be able to examine the workplace environment environment and in those anonymous surveys employees were very very critical of Michael Bidwill's leadership and in the Terry McDonough arbitration complaint, it says that once the initial reports came back, Michael Bidwell put a stop to it and never wanted the secondary reports, the other things to come forward at work. We don't know about that, but we're going to learn about it tomorrow when Ron Miniger talks about the workplace environment with the Arizona Cardinals. That's tomorrow's Doug Franz Unplugged. All right, coming up next, let's talk about football. Let's go on to the field. We got Cardinals to talk about, we've got A. Uh, ASU to talk about and uh, still a lot more to go football-wise, not off the field on the field, that's next this is Doug Franz Unplugged presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass on WTSMTV.com Today. And I think it's always important to admit failure when, when it happens and then just do your best to not let it happen again. I really failed on something in the four-minute offense today. I missed a story, and I really feel terrible about it. I, uh, um, I, don't, I Point blank, I don't know how I missed it. I, I, th- I went to the website that I'm reading right now, but there's a story that it's still really laughable to me. The Pac-12, everybody that's in the Pac-12 is in the Board of Governors, and they can vote different measures, things like that. Well, you can imagine with 12 teams in the Pac-12 and they have a lot of ownership. They have the ownership of the Pac-12 network. Just simply all of those cameras they own, different rights they own, they, contracts. There's so many things that the Pac-12 owns. And Oregon State and Washington State are the only future members of the Pac-12. And they were irate that the Board of Governors was going, to the, was going to get together and vote on some measures. And in Oregon State, and Washington State's mind, they were going to get outvoted on everything about the future of the Pac-12. And they said, this is absolutely ridiculous that you, leaving the Pac-12, get to make money on what the Pac-12 owns when the Pac-12 isn't dead. Now, you and I, of course, assume the Pac-12 is dead, but technically it's not. Washington State and Oregon State are still in the Pac-12. So who are you to sell the cameras, to sell the licenses, to sell anything, to sell off your equipment when we're the Pac-12? We get to determine that. So they sued. And yesterday, a judge agreed that the only decisions that can be made about the future of the Pac-12 are by Washington State and by Oregon State. Now, this might only matter legally, okay? To you and I, the Pac-12 is probably dead the second USC and UCLA left. Okay, USC not in the Pac-10, Pac-12, Pac-8. Okay, it's no longer the Pac. But in all actuality, don't you want all of that equipment, the Rose Bowl contract, everything else if you're Oregon State and Washington State? So instead of the Mountain West staying alive, I suspect the Mountain West schools will come together Vote the disillusion of the conference, and the majority of them move to the Pac-12. So they will join Washington State and Oregon State, but Washington State and Oregon State want to have a conference for them to move to. And then you keep your NCAA automatic tournament bid. You're able to maybe keep the contracts with Las Vegas to have a Pac-12 championship game and Pac-12 tournament. And at those terms, even though you have lesser schools, things like that. There's a lot to unpack, but that was a big decision yesterday. And I'm sorry I didn't include it in the four-minute offense. Um, Talked a lot of Cardinals off the field with Ron Miniger. Let's get to Cardinals on the field. It's been a little while since this was said. This is from Monday's press conference with Jonathan Gannon. But I want to go through all of the major coaches, Jonathan Gannon, Drew Petsink, and Nick Roll as head coach, offensive coordinator, and defensive coordinator. And, and here is J.G. talking about the, being situationally trained. And what he means by that is when you have a scenario where your running back, James Conner, runs, runs through the pile, gets right to the end zone, and then takes a knee, goes down. Because if you would have scored there – Even though you're probably going to win and you're up by eight points, well, the best chance in order for the Falcons to come back is with the ball. And the more clock you eat, the better chance you have of winning. So don't score a touchdown, you know, kick the field goal, and kick the field goal, win the game at the end of uh, – once time has expired. So by sitting down, it's a very selfless thing to do. Screws you if you're a James Conner fantasy owner, but – It's good for the Cardinals and this is the head coach saying this is exactly what we do in practice.
2: Our guys are situationally trained and um, when you need to execute things um, within the ball game they got to know what's going on and they got to know what to do and we try to put them in those situations and educate them but each game plays out different with what you do and uh, I was uh, proud of our guys to execute there. With all due respect to Sean McDermott, who claims that they had just
0: practiced their field goal block, their hurry-up field goal block, only to get hit with a 12-man penalty that ended Monday Night Football, Bills and Broncos, I put all of that on coaching. It is, to me, 100% coaching. Do you drill it enough? Have you educated your players enough? And have you created an environment in practice that could induce panic if from the people that normally panic so you can correct it? Because clearly the Bills didn't work on it enough. When you see it work to perfection like it did with the Arizona Cardinals, you have to put it squarely on Jonathan Gannon. Yes, the selflessness the class and the football IQ of James Conner cannot be un, go unnoticed. But it starts with the head coach when a team nails it like that, and Jonathan Gannon certainly did. Uh, just a quick evaluation from Gannon on what he thought of the, of the O-line play now that Kyler's in the lineup.
2: Good. I thought Beecham played extremely well stepping in for Hump. Carl O'Donnell, another guy in the lineup, you know, he, um, I thought he played well. Um, all five of those guys did a good job. I thought it was the best performance of the O-line,
0: but I think we all know with Kyler Murray it's a little bit easier to look better as an offensive lineman. I still think they have a massive need at guard, and clearly with DJ Humphreys getting older, and I don't think he's played all that great this year, they have a desperate need at left tackle, or if you want to move Paris Johnson over, then they have a desperate need at right tackle, and I, I don't think Froholt's playing all that well, so there's give a lot of credit when, when a team gets a win when when you watch individual performances of the line, it's not very good, but collectively they did enough to get a win. Uh, this is one thing that I, I, I appreciate they actually admit it. He was asked was there extra juice? Was there extra motivation? Could you see a different energy on the sidelines since the quarterback is back? And I like where JG took this because the question was about extra energy on Sunday.
2: Yeah, I think um, more so than on than yesterday was probably the week of practice. You know, it it seemed like it upticked uh, our competitiveness on both sides. Um, I thought we had a really good week of practice, but uh, yeah, I think you know, and I said a jolt of energy. You know, maybe a little more belief that we're gonna, um, you know, make sure if we get the ball there late, we're gonna score points or whatever it is. But. You know that's part of him making his teammates better um, psychologically. That goes into that statement as well. So uh, that's what he does for us. Here's why I thought that was important.
0: And full disclosure, no, I'm I'm not recanting. I have been very critical of Kyler Murray's football maturity, football IQ and his devotion to his craft and his leadership skills throughout his tenure as the Arizona Cardinals quarterback. Because of that, you might say, op, see, you're wrong. Look at this statement by Jonathan Gannon. I admit I'm turning that, and you might not approve of this, to me, it goes back to what I told you last week. When I saw the way Kyler Murray handled that press conference, I think the ACL affected him psychologically. I think he's a better leader because of it, and I, thought, I think he realizes how easy you can lose football altogether. And imagine his career ending and how unfulfilled the promise would be. When his, the lasting memory, for you it might be the run against the Raiders. But I always look at pressure situations. So the lasting memory, if he had a season-ending injury for me, or career-ending injury for me, would be the ridiculous pass to avoid a safety and giving up a touchdown to the Rams on a pick-six in a playoff game, where that is the ultimate choke in in the history of football, but pretty close, that you feel that amount of pressure that suddenly you can't figure out that seven is a lot bigger than two. That's a choke job. Well... With Kyler, when you hear the head coach talking about that the juice of Kyler was not on Sunday, that practice was better, okay? That means players on the team are now feeling like this is now real. This crap is now intense. Now we've got a chance to win. I can't be the reason why we lose. I've got to focus. I've got to practice with more intensity. And it's also a level of respect for Kyler Murray. That shows you he's respected in that locker room. That's, that's important. I think that's a big statement by uh, Jonathan Gannon, and I want to play you that. And then this is Jonathan Gannon. I, I like the way he gushed about this. With the amount of kicks Matt Prater makes from 50 yards, it's a game changer. You're, this guy changes punts into three points. And the head coach was asked if he ever takes Matt Prater for granted.
2: No, I do not take it for granted. Um, I know how huge those kicks are. You know, the one play where we were backed up, we had a bunch of penalties. and it was third, and I don't even know third and thirty maybe. And I thought it was really good by Drew to say, "Hey, get this ball to the forty. And we're going to kick it, and he checks it down to Rondell, and Hollywood makes a block, and he gets it to the thirty-nine or whatever, and Matt bangs it through. Like that's it's a, a huge, uh, you know, three-point right there, a three-point swing in the game. I think somebody told me there were seven lead changes in that game. You know, it's going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth in a tight game, and. You know, that's how the NFL is. you got to make plays to win the game. But I do not take it for granted. I know that um, he's a really good player for us, and I have a lot of confidence, even when I have to, as I would call it, stretch the leather, that he's going to go bang it through. Um, And it doesn't work out. It doesn't work out. But i got complete confidence in him.
0: I don't talk or spend a lot of time talking about kickers, but I just think that guy's a weapon, and I thought it was fair. I mean, we need to talk about him. To continue on to the field, uh, here's Drew Petzing. I, I liked this answer a lot. He was asked about uh, – and this is the offensive coordinator of the Cardinals. He was asked about Kyler Murray and his scrambling and how worried he must have been or what was it like when you, when you first saw him out there breaking off runs. Were you nervous about his knee?
3: It's funny you say that. At no point during the game did it cross my mind, which is funny because I think in here last week, in my mind, it was going to. Like, you were going to think about it a lot more. But once the lights go on and you're calling plays, you're in the flow of the game, it really at no point crossed my mind until maybe somebody mentioned it after the game. You know, that's probably when you think of it you Oh, yeah, he did just come off an ACL. It sure didn't look like it when he was out there. I, the reason why I like that, and that's a small
0: thing, but the reason why I like that is simply because He's looking at it from the standpoint of I was fearful all week and then as soon as I get in there I'm just calling plays reacting moving on forward. That that shows that shows a calmness from an offensive coordinator that the emotions leave when it's time to do the job. And that's 99% of the time that's a very good thing. Uh, another one from Drew Petzing is how is Kyler doing? with this offense how's he doing learning the offense how did he handle getting the plays from his helmet and huddling more than he's ever done in his career bouncing back and forth between shotgun and under center more than he's ever done in his career how was the transition from the kingsbury offense to
3: the petzing offense being in the huddle, calling more plays in and out of the huddle, uh, certainly a big part of it. It's a new language and it's kind of it really, and that's kind of the biggest probably transition to him. You know, some of the things that he his brain probably hasn't flipped over completely to like, I want to run this. Is this what it's called here? Like, that's real, you know, and, and when it's like learning, going from English to Spanish or Spanish to Italian, you're, you're all saying the same things a lot of times, but remembering exactly how to communicate it in the language you're talking to your teammates, I think at times can be a little tricky. I think he's done a really nice job all offseason of embracing that and committing to that and working on play calling. But I think that's probably the thing that's going to continue to improve the most as he just does it more and more.
0: So often we've heard that phrase and it is it, just something that I only know about through my friendship with uh With Rudy, in which if you've ever had the opportunity to talk football with Rudy Carpenter, his recall of different plays is phenomenal. And his work with high school and even NFL quarterbacks is phenomenal in going over different reads and plays and things like that. And especially with him spending a long time of his career in a John Gruden offense, which is one of the wordiest offense there are. Wordy meaning the verbiage is crazy on what they do. Uh, John Gruden is famous for not calling a ton of plays, but having about five formations for every play to fool you with the formations more than the play. So things like that. While at Cliff Kingsbury, he was the exact opposite. We'll just have you know simple formations. I can't remember all the formations, but we're going to fool you with this fantastic play that I've designed, not knowing that it actually takes a practice and people have to learn it and be on the same page before it succeeds. So I really like that from Petzing explaining it. And the last thing from Drew Petzing, if you're a hardcore Cardinals fan, I think you're going to love this. I really do. Jonathan Gannon talked earlier in the week about Drew Petzing holding himself accountable and he turns in a sheet every week for here's what the goals were, here's where we succeeded, here's where we failed as a team, and then here's where I failed as an offensive coordinator where I I like this, but looking back we should have done this. Or this play call didn't work because I hadn't coached this, you know, whatever. Just taking a high level of accountability. So Drew Petzing now and his presser yesterday was asked about the self-evaluation sheet
3: that, that's a big part of my process and as you look at it like as a coach it's like all right i evaluate the game the plan the matchups everything we did that went into sunday did I do it well? Here's where I could have been better. Here's where I didn't do it well enough and why? So that one, we may play these people again. So we need to have answers there. And then two, if I'm not working to make myself better, I'm not doing exactly what I'm asking the players to do every day they come in the building. So I think it's just a big part of, hey, how can I be better at my job? How can I be more prepared? How can I put them in a better situation? Um, That's a big part of what that sheet is. And certainly I give that to JG and and honestly, I ask his opinion on it and say, hey, you were on the headset. You were part of the game planning. You were part of the process. Is there anything you saw that you're like, you know, I think we needed a little more here, a little less there. I thought that was really good. Didn't like this as much. And I think those conversations and being to self-evaluate are such a big part of making sure you're getting the best version of yourself.
0: For me, I I think going forward, it's very key for the Arizona Cardinals to have less Michael Bidwell and more of this coaching staff and more of Monty Austin for it. Now, granted, it was Michael's hire. Give him credit. But just looking at the deterioration of that organization under Michael and Steve Kime and now hearing things like that from Drew Petsing of that level of accountability, Wow. I, mean, I, I totally believe this franchise is on the right track when you were just looking at the on-field product right now. It'll take a long time. I don't think they're very good, but it'll, But I think they're on the right track. Uh, lastly on Cardinals, this is Nick Rollis. He's the defensive coordinator. And he's going to say everything that you already know. But if you haven't been focused on just how incredible C.J. Stroud has been, I, I think it's good to hear a defensive coordinator talking about the Houston quarterback.
1: He deserves to be in that MVP race. I know that kind of hit recently. Of you know, CJ Stroud has entered that, and he deserves to be because he is playing at a very high level. And you can see this guy is going to be a really good player um, for a long time in this league. Just his ability to put the ball accurately where it needs to be continuously. Um, he's got great arm strength. He can get the ball out on time. If it's not there, he knows how to get to his check down. He knows when it's time to throw it away. He doesn't put the ball at harm's risk. If he needs to escape and improvise, he can do that. And he can still keep his eyes on the field and and make plays. So he doesn't look anything like a rookie quarterback. He looks like a, a veteran that knows where he wants to go with the football. Um, and, when he, and when he knows where he wants to go with the football, he puts it right on the money. And there's a reason that they're top of the league in explosive passes. Um, it's because he knows where to go with the football. They're doing a great job of scheming people open and he's putting it there. And they're also top the league in yards after catch. And that's, you know, you know, attribute that to his accuracy throwing the football, because whether it's an intermediate pass or they are taking a shot down the field, he's hitting guys in stride and it's turning big plays into, you know, touchdown, huge plays. So um, very impressed. Uh, obviously before the the i turned on the tape i was just kind of hearing the noise but it's real um he's a really good player
0: if you don't already i strongly suggest you follow kurt warner I, I think his twitter handle is fantastic at showing plays and he breaks down plays and shows veteran quarterbacks missing all of these reads and then shows cj stroud crushing these reads and then you hear nick rollis say he leads the league in uh, explosive plays and i'm thinking back to the kurt warner i thought that was really good stuff Uh, before we go to uh, the main event with Steve McCollum, I want to give you some Frank Vogel. This is old, but now that they play tonight against Minnesota, I'm really interested in this. Fourth quarters have been a huge problem on back-to-back games. So tell me about the fourth quarters, Frank Vogel.
1: Yeah, tough quarter. Um, I think t- tonight's fourth quarter is different than, you know, some of the other fourth quarter struggles we've had.
3: Uh, last 48 hours, Put a lot of uh, work into our execution i felt like
1: our execution was better shots just didn't fall and um you know it's a tough night you know i I think uh you know you got brad battling battling through his back injury and and uh trying
5: to get his legs under him you know kd's been carrying a heavy load uh, for us uh, all season played every game and in pretty big minutes um but i think the execution was better than it was uh versus the lakers and versus you know with some of the other fourth quarter breakdowns we just didn't make
2: shots
0: I don't like the phrase, we just didn't make shots. Does that happen sometimes? Yes. But sometimes it's, okay, bad luck, but a lot of times it's bad ball movement, better defense, poor planning. You know, there's so many other things that can go into that. But I thought that was important to look at for tonight's game. Now Minnesota has had a pretty crazy 36 hours. They played in Golden State last night, had an ejection. That's where the fight took place with the Rudy Gobert getting in a headlock from Draymond Green. Now Minnesota's coming here after that game. So there's a lot going on with the Minnesota T-Wolves tonight, and uh, hopefully you can take advantage of a team that's got to be tired flying in from San Francisco, and maybe actually the Suns can win the fourth quarter. Steve McCollum is the host of the main event. It's every weekday from 8 until 10. He joins us, uh, he joins us right now. Uh, who's the last person you ever put in a headlock?
4: Oh, six hours ago. <laughs> Was it Dale where you I have, I have to give knuckle sandwiches. Okay, okay, okay. Um, uh, more, more importantly, uh man, Draymond's a wuss. He comes from behind and chokeholds a guy. Draymond's supposed to be this tough guy. He puts on this tough guy in me. I bet it's no you're a stupid punk. Come
0: from behind. It's he's garbage. Al- he's always one of those people that you see that
4: spouts off a little bit and then as soon as people get in between you yeah. now he's ready to yeah, go yeah i know it it it's it just uh, it Look, I, I don't mean to cause problems with Draymond Green, but if he wants to walk in here, all I know is I don't have to turn my back on him and he won't attack me. Uh, but uh, he is the fakest. He is he is a wannabe Dennis Rodman. Uh, he doesn't have the talent of Dennis. He doesn't have anything close to Dennis. He doesn't have the toughness of Dennis Rodman. Uh, if, all he has to do is start coloring his hair, wearing wedding dresses, and then he'll just be uh, another version of Dennis Rodman. Like, it's just a uh, wannabe Dennis Rodman.
0: Now, let's let's pigeonhole you. Are you tough because Dale's sitting next Next to you? Are you saying hey,
4: he's, a- he's? not next to me yet. Oh, okay. No, Draymond can come Thanks in here. I'll have some words with him. I'm not afraid of Draymond. I just, like I said, just don't turn your back on him. That's when he's going to attack you. Him and Luca, they attack you from behind.
0: I've never. No, we're we're looking at Draymond, and we think we're right. With Luca, we know we're right. Yeah, I'm not worried worried about Luca. No,
4: no, we're right with Draymond. Right, he punched Jordan Poole, who probably deserved it. We're (laughs) learning that about Jordan Poole right now, right? (laughs) But when did he punch him? Uh, At practice, when you know? Oh, I gotta be tough. Oh, everybody's laughing. I better go hit him. Yeah, yeah. it's just he's the guy that uh, you know. 10 minutes too late goes after somebody and it's just a joke yeah Uh, man it just it's good to see though Doug this this NBA taking this in season 30 so seriously oh yeah yeah we're fired Lakers Grizz last night the players are just they want this trophy so badly they're just fighting left and right. I, like I said, since, it, since
0: it's at least part of the regular season, I, I don't think, I do think a player will care hey. once they're in Vegas. Hey,
4: that was sarcasm. By I know. Way. I know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 but I think it matters only in the sense that it's a regular season game. I don't think any player says, wow, this is a tournament game. I no. care. I do think they will when they get to Vegas. Because when you get to Vegas, if you win one game in Vegas, here's $200,000. Yeah, I don't think Win two care. games in Vegas, here's $500,000. Five hundred thousand dollars.
4: The the main guys on the team d- won't care because that's pocket change to them. They don't care. You know what they care about? Going to Vegas and partying it up every night. I,
0: that's see. Here's the thing. I don't. I have met. You've met a lot of athletes too. I have never met an athlete that won't try hard for five hundred thousand dollars. I don't care how much money they're making.
4: Uh no. Oh, I disagree with that one hundred percent. I mean, they're gonna try. You know, they're gonna try hard. They're gonna mix it up. They're gonna yeah. fight it. I think it's the courts, man. I think the courts are making people angry. They are. They do. The bug ugly me out. courts are just making people. I mean Anthony Davis showed a backbone last night and shoved somebody across the <laughs> across the room. I mean, if Anthony Davis shows toughness, I mean, it's gotta be the courts. Well, they're just angry I'm at you. I'm surprised you didn't pull a quad or something pushing him, but
0: I, I noticed I don't have the courage to do anything about this. I I will ask you, and that is this. Tonight, so keep in mind he thought of Mi- me, right. Minnesota just flew in
4: from uh San Francisco. A- after last fighting night. two minutes into a game. Yeah, after having their, their little skirmish. What? What happened two minutes into the game where they were just like, let's go? Well, like you said,
0: it might have been the, the court, and
4: that was two it. Two minutes.
0: But Minnesota is a six point underdog tonight. Okay. All right. They're eight and two, Suns are four and six, yeah. but. I have a hard time with this game thinking there's going to be instantaneous credibility and chemistry with Booker, Beal, and Durant, and everybody's on the same page, but it is the back end of a back-to-back. Would you touch this game with a six-point spread
4: in favor of the Suns? No, because I'm afraid of a 13-point fourth quarter by the Suns. Yeah. That's why. You think Booker's going to have the stamina? You think Beal's going to have the stamina? They're going to figure out how they work that fourth quarter, but without a point guard, that's problem. Yeah, uh, it, I'm afraid of that 13-point fourth quarter that they've had a couple times this year now. Now, you know this as well as I do on back-to-back games. Teams will start sluggish. Minnesota's going to start sluggish, probably get down by 30, but it's the NBA yeah. fourth quarter. Uh, they'll be up by two uh, with three minutes to go. I loved uh, what so.
0: Chris Paul used to say, and and Booker <laughs> would follow along. They both would say the reason why we're so successful in crunch time is because everybody knows what we need to get to. And, and it was like... They worked so hard on this. Is what they didn't say what it was. Yes, but they knew it was either the Chris Paul runner from the elbow, Booker getting open, somebody like they knew exactly where everybody was going to be and Mm -hmm. what their end game was. And if five guys are on the same page, you then win games. Well. I don't see how that's possible tonight.
4: It's, I want to see how nice they are. And what I mean by that is, is uh, final shot comes up. You see this a lot, right? In, in NBA specifically, when superstars get together, uh, when they first start playing together, uh, they want the other guy to take the big shot. Oh, I'm going to give it up to this guy when they should take it. Right. So which one of the three is going to be selfish tonight and take the shot or give it up is the question. Uh, Bradley Beal, I think, by the way, is going to be the star of this team in terms of not Booker, of course, is going to be, you know, from that perspective. But on the court, I think Beale's going to be the the most important player on this team this year. Why? Uh, he's just so good. Mm. You see his first game back. Yeah. Whew. He's yeah. faking that back injury. I'm just been. <laughs> you know, I just uh,
0: like, like I said. I thought this team is the cha- is the winner of the championship if healthy, and I just don't think they're going to stay healthy. Well, they're and, they're and not I don't going to know do when I'm right because yeah. it's been ten games, but it's not, like if they're all back together for the next fifty, I can't say. Well, yeah, they weren't healthy
4: back then. I, I don't. I don't care what happens at the beginning of the season. Start Owen. Right. Owen. 30 or whatever it is it doesn't matter it's, it's get into the playoffs and then let it go be ready for that point and let it go uh, I'm done with this have a great regular season and flame out in the playoffs to a bad team no no let's do the opposite let's do the Spurs where we don't care about the regular season until February and then we'll turn it on we'll get hot and wherever we go in the playoffs we go in the playoffs yeah. the only team you're afraid of in the west is, is uh, Denver Is that who you're afraid of I mean Minnesota come on it's Rudy Gobert they're going to fall apart at some point when you say afraid, I agree I'm afraid of no one in the West.
0: However, I also believe anybody in the West can beat the Suns, too, because I, I think the West is, well, is loaded. So it's not a fear thing. It's just until this team develops defensively. In a, a
4: seven-game series, you, you firmly believe that? Just on paper, you firmly believe every team in the West can beat the Suns. I, I think Denver can. But other than that, it's going to be a battle in seven games.
0: I—, I I'm, on not, paper. I'm not yeah, I'm see the thing for me and the paper is I have to see it because I realize what you're saying. Look at this name versus this
4: name, this yeah. matchup you versus this matchup. But you won't see that cap- cap- capable basketball until March, April, May. So I all we accept, can do is paper.
0: If it's April and May before we see it, then I, I don't think they win. I think that they're out in the first round because it's the they have to learn the defense. If they don't learn this defense by the end of March, you're not suddenly gonna pick
4: it up in April. And then when the other team has you you scouted yeah their, their problem is not their diva the problem is their point guard uh, look, oh, I think 13 points in the fourth quarter twice this year folks i'm not worried about that with booker you, you and i oh no booker's not a true point guard though oh they're gonna slap his hands in the playoffs he's gonna have ball control issues like he's had in the past in the playoffs because the toughness gets tougher you need a bona fide point guard that can play chris paul was it it's just he always got hurt well and why did he get hurt? Because he's—he's old. People were yeah. slapping that his hand.
0: Physicality. Yeah. I'm much more worried about the defense. So we'll be—that'll uh, be our uh, yeah. talking point the rest of the year. 10 part of our six hours of local sports programming every weekday morning the only tv station in the city to give you six hours of local sports wtsm you've got unplugged every weekday morning from six to eight the main event with steve mccullum and dale hellestrade coming up next from eight to ten and then i think i said eight to ten twice six to eight eight to ten and then uh izzy on sports ios gets underway coming up at 10 o'clock this morning time for versus vegas This is when... You know, I haven't done my disclaimer in a while, so let me give you the disclaimer. I gamble five bucks. Not very much money. That's my unit. It's allowance. And I'm probably going to be giving you games that I don't play because I ran out of allowance already uh, this month. Not not gambling-wise, just paying for uh, um, lunch. However... Because of Alex Bregman and me going plus 700 on him hitting a home run in one of the uh, ALCS games, uh, I'm I'm in the plus. Now, overall, record-wise, I'm at 1035, 938, and 7. You want to be above 53%, I'm at 52%. But I've hit enough biggies with Alex Bregman and a couple golf golfers that were major pluses that I've been able to uh, finish in the positive so far. Last night, I got the only game right that I liked. I wish I would have went on the money line and gotten better juice. I didn't. I took New Orleans plus the three and a half over Dallas. Liked that a lot. Got it right. New Orleans won 131-110. So that's what gave me the 1035-938-7 and seven mark. This is going to shock you today. I've got six games on a Wednesday that I like. Six of them. One of them is not Minnesota and Phoenix. I love teams on a back-to-back and then to get Minnesota on the back end of a back-to-back after a battle with Golden State and you get Beal, Booker, and Durant all together. It seems like you take the Suns, but the Suns as a six-point favorite... And just as Steve McCullough mentioned, the bad fourth quarters, there's there's too much volatility there. I'm not touching that game. The other games that I just absolutely, I'm not going to know, I don't know if I'm going to put the love category on all of them, but oh my gosh, do I like the setup. The Atlanta Hawks were in Detroit last night and they flew all the way back to Atlanta. Not a short flight, not a long flight, but not a short flight. And they're home against a rested Knicks squad. Uh, I'm all over that one. I'll take the Knicks minus the one and a half. The India, the Philadelphia 76ers lost in Indiana. Now they fly home to take on Boston. Indiana's in the same time zone as Philly. Indiana's at the very the very end of the of the Eastern time zone. However, that's a that's not a nearby flight and the Celtics are so much better than the Philadelphia uh, 76ers. So I'm going to take the Celtics on the money line on that one. Orlando is uh, lost on the road to Brooklyn. So then after the game, they had to go from New York to Chicago and turn around and play again against a Bulls team. That's not great, but I like the travel. I'll take Chicago on the money line there, the Bulls over the uh, uh, Orlando Magic. Dallas, I just told you they lost to New Orleans. I think they're going to not play that great. They go from New Orleans to our nation's capital. So you lose an hour in the flight and you're on the back end of a back-to-back. And uh, it's an easy travel to get from Reagan to the team hotel. But I still don't like that travel day. And I'm getting six points with a bad Washington team. I don't know who's going to win, but I'm going to take the Wizards plus the six. And one more NBA game. I told you I got a lot of games because there's a lot of back-to-backs. Portland played at Elevation last night at Salt Lake City and lost by 16. Now they fly home to take on a rested Cavaliers team. I don't think you play the back end of a back-to-back off of Elevation and succeed. I'm going to take the Cavaliers minus the nine and a half. I'd really like to take them on the money line, but the juice is outrageous. It's just not fair to take it on the money line. So I'm going to take the Cavs minus nine and a half. I don't love that game because of the spread, but I like the game because of Cleveland rested, Portland back end of a back-to-back coming off of elevation. And lastly, the game that I totally love, like just all over this one, Anaheim Mighty Ducks won on the road in Nashville. Now, I don't know about Jeff Weir production and, and all of his travels in life, But I don't know if if you knew that when you leave Memphis and you cross over the state border on that bridge, you end up in Colorado. I didn't know that. I thought it was Arkansas, but I guess it's Colorado. So the brilliance of the NHL schedule makers, Anaheim flew from Nashville to Denver. Denver's got an airport that I think is in Wyoming. You have to drive so far to get back downtown. And then they take on an Avalanche team that's 10 times better than they are. And Colorado's only favored by a goal and a half. They didn't get the dreaded two and a half puck line. I am all over that game. Colorado covers the puck line of a goal and a half against the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. Yeah, they changed
3: that border just a few years ago. I didn't know that. I got to start paying attention.
0: I mean... You look at a map, and you've got Tennessee here, and you're going to play a back-to-back in Denver? Come on. The NHL. By the way, this is the same league that thinks Phoenix should be in a division with Nashville. They're in the same division. That makes a lot of sense. That does it for today's version of Doug Front's Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Again, sign up with WTSMTV.com at the basic live or premium level. Premium level gives you an opportunity to win a foursome and lunch at Civlic Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Also, three wedges. You get all That's an over $1,000 value. You can win it if you're a premium member. Please also go to Unplugged at whirlwind.com and sign up to be a member of Whirlwind Plus, which to me is the best golf membership package you can have in this city. When you see what you get, the savings you get, and how beautiful that course is, you're going to think this is fantastic. Plus 15% off the Great Wings at Sivlin. Hungry today? You got Burrito Express all across Across the east side, Bell's Nashville Kitchen in Scottsdale, Rosati's in Chandler and Ray and McQueen and 100 Mile Brewing Company in Tempe at rural Scottsdale in the 202 and any issues with your air conditioning just call 602 to repair that's 602 the number 2, the R-E-P-A-I-R for Parker
2: and Sons the main event's up next I'll see you tomorrow